This is the Megacon Experience, a collection of sermons from our global conference held in Benin City, Nigeria. We hope you're blessed by these messages. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I am. Woo. I am so. I am a. I am so honored, so thrilled, so excited to be here tonight, tomorrow. I mean, I couldn't wait until this day came. Praise the Lord. And finally, it is here. To Archbishop Margaret Itahosa, thank you so much for being who you are. Thank you. Thank you so much for carrying the anointing and the spirit of God on you. God bless you. To every ministry gift, bishop, apostle, every pastor, everyone who's been called with an assignment that God trusted you with, it is my honor to stand before you tonight as a student of God because one of the, one of the most powerful positions you can ever be in is in a position of continuing to learn and to get more and more from God. Amen. Father, we thank you for this another opportunity to minister to these, your precious sheep. Thank you, Lord, that revelation knowledge will flow freely, uninterrupted and unhindered by any satanic or demonic force. Father, I pray that you will speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. None of me and all of you. And I thank you, Lord, that all that we have come to expect from you will be fully realized tonight. We give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn around and greet two or three of your neighbors, and then you may be seated. Let's get in the word of God tonight. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, go with me to the book of St. John chapter 1. St. John chapter 1. And when you get to St. John chapter 1, we'll begin at verse 14 and 17. You know, some Christians live life as if Jesus has never gone to the cross and died. That's a strange statement. But if Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood, and died for all of our sins, shed his blood so that we could be made the righteousness of God, redeemed of God, have the wisdom of God, then we should be living life realizing and recognizing the advantage that we have now through Jesus Christ. And we should not be living life as if 
Jesus hadn't died on the cross and putting up with things as if he's never dealt with them. Doing things as if he's never settled the issues. And so tonight I want to begin, tonight, tomorrow morning, and tomorrow night, I want us to see the power of rightly dividing the word of truth and understand that if we're going to live by the Bible, and, and if we say that we live by the Bible, then bless God, we ought to understand what it says. Let's begin in St. John chapter 1. Verse 14 says this, And the word was made flesh, and it dwelt amongst us. The word was made flesh, and dwelt amongst us. And I am, we beheld his glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now notice in verse 14, he says, the word was made flesh. Well, who's he talking about? Jesus. And he said, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Well, who's the only begotten of the Father? Jesus. So he's referring to Jesus here. And what does it say about Jesus? Jesus, full of grace and truth. So we're not talking about just a curriculum. Grace is not just a curriculum. Grace is not just a subject matter. Grace is a person and his name is Jesus. So please understand tonight, when I use that word grace, I am talking about a person. I'm talking about a person in the, in the person of the name of Jesus. Jesus is full of grace. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. We are referring to a person, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Now, move on down to verse 17. Verse 17 says, For the law was given by Moses and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law by Moses and grace by Jesus. Now there's an obvious contrast here. A contrast is when you take two things and put them beside one another and you begin to examine the differences. Law by Moses versus grace by Jesus. An obvious contrast. That as a Christian, we need to know the difference between the law that came by Moses and the grace that came by Jesus Christ. What are some things that we should understand? There are some truths that we see under the law by Moses that may not be truths under the grace by Jesus Christ. Or there may be some things that we see concerning the grace by Jesus that are not the same as the law by Moses. But we won't know until we compare and contrast. As long as we just continue to, you know, Shout over the things that get us excited, but we don't understand 
If we don't understand what's going on, then we'll be stuck in the same place. See, you got to understand this. How you think is going to determine how you believe. And how you believe will determine how you live. If your thinking is wrong, then your believing will be wrong. Then your living will be wrong. But if your thinking is right, then your believing will be right. And your living will be right. A lot of people suffer what they suffer because of wrong thinking and wrong believing. Let me give you an illustration. I was in India a few years ago, and they were telling me about the hunger problem. And as he was talking to me about the hunger problem, I kept noticing all these cows walking around. And I said, well, there's, there's beef walking right here. There's steak walking right here. What's the problem? Well, it's what they believe about that cow that's determining how they live concerning that cow. You see, they had the wrong thinking about the cow, which produced the wrong belief about the cow, which produced them not being able to eat the cow. So we don't have a starvation problem. We have a wrong believing problem. Because if you can believe the right way, you can live the right way. And if you think right, you'll believe right. If you believe right, you'll live right. So some lives is a matter of wrong believing. And sometimes we come to our church and we get, we get, we get the word of God, but it may not be rightly divided. And so it produces a wrong way of thinking. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So turn to two people and ask them, how's your thinking? Now, so there's an obvious contrast that needs to be made between the law by Moses and grace by Jesus Christ. Now, go with me to the book of Romans chapter 6, 14. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. Now, look at this. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. Now, I want to make myself very clear. I want to make sure you understand what I am talking about when I use the word law. I'm not talking about the law of gravity. I'm not talking about the law of the land, civil law. I'm talking about the Mosaic law. See, when you read scriptures that say you're free from the law, that doesn't mean you're free to go and steal and kill somebody. It means you're free from the Mosaic law, but we're not talking about the law of your society because, listen, if you go and steal something from the store, the police is going to pick you up, throw you in jail. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Mosaic Law. 
And he says here that we are no longer, Romans 6, 14, we are no longer, sin shall not have dominion over you because you are no longer under the Mosaic law, but you're under grace. You see, you, some people have problems with that because the Mosaic law came from God to Jewish people. So if you're not Jewish tonight, you ain't got nothing to do with that because it's, it's not, it, was never, it was never extended towards Gentiles, which are non-Jewish people. So I shouldn't have to be up here explaining this to you tonight because you are trying to partake of a covenant that's not, that you were not included in. You are a part of the new covenant. You are not a part of the Mosaic covenant. Jewish people are a part of the Mosaic covenant. You are a part of the new covenant. And you keep trying to make yourself a part of an agreement that's not yours. So he says, sin shall not have dominion over you because you are no longer under the law of Moses. That's a big statement. You're no longer under the law of Moses, so sin shall not have dominion over you. So you know what he just said? Under the Mosaic law, sin has dominion over your life. You show me somebody who is struggling with a bunch of sin, and I'll show you somebody who's still trying to live under the Mosaic law, because while under the Mosaic law, sin will dominate your life. But he says, under the grace of God, now here's what people are saying, that under the grace of God, you can just sin because you're under the grace of God. That's a lie. Because under the grace of God, remember, that's Jesus. Under the grace of God, you don't sin more. The Bible says in Titus that this grace will teach you how to live a righteous, holy, sound life. So if you're sinning more and you're saying it's because you're under grace, I'm telling you it's not because you're under grace, honey. It didn't take, something didn't happen right in that prayer room because under grace, Grace will teach you how to live right. It'll teach you how to live sound. It'll, it'll give you a desire to not want to do what you used to do now that you're under the grace of God. Amen. Sin shall not have dominion over you because you're no longer under the Mosaic law, but you're under the grace of God. You're under the grace of God. You're in a dispensation where you're under the grace of God. You are here born again by the grace of God. You were saved by grace, but you got it through faith. You were healed by grace, but you got it through faith. You were delivered by grace, but you got it through faith. Grace makes, faith takes what grace makes. Are you listening to me? Now, go with me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 15. I'm laying a foundation here. I want to build a skyscraper building, but I got to lay a good foundation. 2 Timothy, chapter 2 and 15. 2 Timothy 2 and 15. 
He says, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly, rightly, rightly dividing the word of truth. How many of you know if you can rightly divide the word, you can wrongly divide it? If you can rightly divide the word, you will wrongly divide it. If you rightly divide it, then I can think right. And if I think right, then I can believe right. And if I believe right, then I can live right. But if you wrongly divide the word of truth, then it's going to produce wrong thinking. Wrong thinking is going to produce wrong believing. Wrong believing is going to produce wrong living because the word was wrongly divided. And then you'll look at a God that you think is going to punish you and you'll look at a God who you think doesn't like you and you'll believe that way because you were taught that way. But we've got to rightly divide the word of truth. Well, what do you mean rightly divide the word of truth? Rightly divide between that which came by Moses and that which came by Jesus. Rightly divide the word of truth. We've got to rightly divide between servant and sonship. We got to rightly divide between the blood of animals versus the blood of Jesus. We've got to rightly divide between, you know, what you do to make something happen versus what Jesus has already done to make it happen. We, you, can't, you can't mix it. You, 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 a lot of Christians are trying to live by mixtures. We say things like, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, which one are you? Which one are you? If you are a sinner and you have been saved, then you should no longer still be a sinner. If you are a sinner and you've been saved, then you should be something else other than a sinner. The New Testament says you're a saint. But you keep saying you're a sinner because you think that you are a sinner because you sin. Sinning doesn't make you a sinner. You are a sinner because you have an old man, an old sin nature on the inside of you. And until you get rid of that old sin man, you're still going to be a sinner because you got the root to sinning. But once you get born again and you get rid of the old nature and you get the new nature, you're no longer a sinner. You are a saint. And if you'll give the Holy Spirit time, he'll start working in you and producing the fruit of the Spirit. Well, Brother Dollar, I don't understand. Why do people still sin? People sin after they get saved because they haven't renewed their mind. And once you get saved, the most important thing for you to do is to renew your mind. The most important thing for you to do before you become a Christian is to become a Christian. <laughs> the most important thing that a human being can do is to get born again. But the most important thing for a Christian to do is to renew his mind. And if you just got born again, but you haven't renewed your mind in this grace that came by Jesus Christ, oh my goodness, then you're going to keep doing the same thing because of an unrenewed mind. In other words, you have a new computer, but you still have the old software. And if the software doesn't change, the computer will continue to give you the same output. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying? 
So to rightly divide the word means to correctly analyze it. It means to, to look at it correctly, to analyze it correctly, to, to, to rightly divide the word. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you know, if, if you're in the ministry and you're teaching people the word of God, we, we have to learn how to rightly divide that which is of the old, that which is of the new, that which came by Moses, that which came by Jesus. We're still praying prayers that are under the old covenant of Moses and the new covenant of grace has already given us how to pray, but we're still praying the old way. That's why you ain't getting no results. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to show you some radical truth this week. Tonight, I'm just weighing you out. I got to see what I got in the house tonight so I can see where I'm going to go. Amen. Now, some of y'all ain't going to be able to handle all this, but I did not come here to Benin City to be careful. I came here to be radical, praise God. I came here to give you something to talk about, to give you something to pray about, to give you something to study. Amen. To rightly divide the word. So what I want to do tonight, very quickly, is I want to rightly divide it. I want to see the difference between what, you, what did you have to do to get blessed under the law that came by Moses versus what do you have to do to get blessed under the grace that came by Jesus. In other words, what was true before the cross may not still be true after the cross. What was true before the cross may not be true after the cross. Are y'all ready for this? Now, now listen, we, 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 can do, we can shout and do cartwheels later on. I want you to see this. And in order for you to get this, you're going to have to study with me. So look at the scriptures on the screen. Share the Bible with somebody. Let's go through this. Let's look at this. And may God bless you as we do this. Amen? All right. What are the requirements, first of all, for the blessing? What are the requirements for the blessing? Before the cross, what were the requirements? Are they the same? Let's see. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verses 1 through 3 and verse 15. What are the requirements for the blessing? If you might be trying to meet the requirements to be blessed by an old agreement, when the requirements have changed because of the agreement that was initiated when Jesus died on the cross. Deuteronomy 28, and let's look at verse 1 through 3. If you're there, say amen. All right. Verse 1, he says, and it shall come to pass, if thou, underline those two words, if thou, and it shall come to pass that if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, underline that word all, which I command thee this day that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come on thee and all these blessings shall overtake thee. Here's the condition of these blessings. If thou shall hearken unto the Lord, the voice of the Lord thy God, then you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. If thou. So the condition here. And the, and the agreement here is, if you can keep all the commandments, then you will be blessed. If you can obey and keep 
all the commandments. He said all, didn't he? All right, guess what? There are more than just 10. There are 613. Now, some of y'all messed up already because you don't know 613. You hardly know the 10. He said the deal is to keep all the commandments, then you'll get all the blessings. So please understand, this is not proportional obedience. He didn't say if you can be 20% obedient, then you'll get 20% the blessing. In fact, he told us in verse 15, if you'll go there, Deuteronomy 28, uh, verse 15. In verse 15, he tells you what happens if you don't do it. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee, and they will overtake you if you can't keep all of these commandments. 613, all of them. James chapter 2 and 10, put it on the script. James chapter 2 and 10 says if you violate just one, then you're guilty of the whole thing. For whosoever shall keep the whole law of Moses and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of violating the whole thing. So 613 commandments is the deal. So if you are, if you are 100% obedient, then you'll get 100% the blessing, 0% the curse. But if you're 99% obedient, then you're going to get 0% the, 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 the blessing, but 100% the curse. Because this is not talking about proportional blessing. It's real clear. Keep all the commandments, then these blessings shall come on you. Not 20%, not 30%. Keep all of them. And then all these blessings will come on you. To me, that sounds like almost impossible. And yet we are being trained to try to keep them and nobody in this place has been successful at it, not one of you. And that's why I don't know why we judge people the way we judge them when everybody here tonight has an issue and everybody here tonight needs a savior because everybody in here tonight has an issue. See, we've developed our own rating system. We look at people and we say, oh, she committed adultery. That's a 65. But this person over here who murmurs all the time, that's a five. That's not right. All sin has the same measure. And you have to be careful not to allow yourself to go into self-righteousness. Well, you say, you know, I tithe and I am good and I go to church every Sunday and I fast twice a week. I am holy. I don't even drink coffee. I don't look at dirty movies. I am holy. I am holy. When I take a bath or a shower, I don't even look at my naked body when I get out. I am holy. I am holy. Because now we have a bigger problem. You are self-righteous. And self-righteousness is unrighteousness. So everybody in the house needs a savior. Everybody. Everybody. Everybody in the house needs a savior. Everybody. Everybody. 
So the deal was, if you can keep all the commandments all the time, then you'll be blessed with all the blessings. But if you can't, you're going to be cursed. Now, look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. We're looking at the blessings here. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Verse 26 through 28. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. He said, I set it before you. He says, here's how you get the curse. If you, if you, if you, this is a performance-based agreement. If you, it is conditional. It is based on what you do. If you will not obey the commandment of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day, to go after other gods which you have not known. Next verse. He says, if you do that, this is what's going to happen. And it shall come to pass when the Lord thy God has brought thee into the land of Egypt, whether thou goest uh, or possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount... Uh, I think you started a little. Go back to verse 26. 26 to 28. Go 26, 27, 28. Yeah, there you go. Uh, verse 27. There you go. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord thy God. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord thy God. So under this covenant, how do you get the blessing? Uh Uh-huh. Under this covenant, you get the blessing by what? Obedience. Now, before I even say this, Am I ever saying that obedience is, disobedience is okay? No. What I am saying is we all are going to need his help to help us to obey the way we need to obey. He had perfect obedience so he can empower us in areas where we need empowered to be obedient. But obedience, whether you're good at it or not so good at it, is no longer the way you get the blessing in the new covenant. So let's go and see how you get blessed after the cross. Before the cross, obedience, then you had to get blessed. You can't get blessed unless you were obedient, then you have to get blessed. Obedient specifically to the Mosaic Law, 613. So how do we do it after the cross? Go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. I'm going to use these, this, this screen right here if you don't mind. Now watch this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Whoa. Christ has delivered us from the curse of the law. Whoa. Christ has redeemed us and paid the ransom for us concerning the curse that comes from not being able to keep the law. Oh, what he says is because of Jesus Christ, you are no longer going to be cursed for not being able to keep all 613 of the law, he paid a ransom to deliver you from the curse of the law. You don't even know what to do with that, do you? Somebody said to me one time, well, Brother Dollar, are you saying that we don't have to tithe anymore since we've been delivered from the curse of the law? I said you've been delivered from the curse of not being able to do the law. You still get all of the blessings. Let me talk to you about tithing right quick. Since people are so afraid of that. 
how do you tithe under the new covenant? I was telling uh, my family in the back about my dad when he was alive. He put a threat of punishment over me. And he said, if I ever see you tr crossing the street without looking both ways, I'm going to whip you. So because of the threat of being whipped and punished, I made sure I looked both ways before I crossed the street. But now my father is dead. I am no longer living under the fear and the threat of being punished if I don't look both ways. But how many of you know that it is still to my advantage that when I cross the street to look both ways so I won't get hit by a car? So likewise, where tithing is concerned, I don't get the curse for not tithing, but it is still to my advantage to bring the tithe so I can show God that I trust him and that I love him and that I appreciate him. So I still bring the tithe under the grace of God because of who he is in my life. But Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Now look at Galatians. Go back there. Galatians 13. How do we get the blessing? Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Uh, verse 13. Galatians 3 13. Christ has redeemed us or paid a ransom or delivered us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Watch this, 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. How? Through Jesus Christ. Notice, under the new covenant, you're blessed because of Jesus. The blessing comes on you because of Jesus. The blessing comes on you because of Jesus. The blessing comes on you because of Jesus. Somebody says, is obedience important? Yes, obedience is still important. But you've got to recognize that you're healed because of Jesus. You're delivered because of Jesus. You're, 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 you're prosperous because of Jesus. And you got to stop having more faith in what you do for Jesus and start having more faith in what Jesus has already done for you. And you got to start believing in the finished works of Jesus Christ. See, we're still sweating trying to get Jesus to do what he's already done. He's already healed me. When? 2,000 years ago. He's already delivered me. When? 2,000 years ago. He's already prospered me. When? 2,000 years ago. It's time for you to release your faith and start giving a positive response to what you believe is already done instead of you sweating real hard to see if you can get God to do something that he's already done. I'll tell you two prayers he will never answer. Number one, he will never answer a prayer where you're asking him to do what he's already done. Number two, he will never answer a prayer where you're trying to get him to do what he told you to do. Are you listening to me? Let me, let me give you a better illustration. Hey, give me two people up here. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you are a, if you are a, listen, give me two 16-year-olds up here. Do we have, do we have anybody 16? Two 16, I need, I need some help right quick with a sermon. Just stand up real quick wherever you are, wave your hands at me. Come on, buddy. I got one with the red on, that's one. I need one more. There's one with a green on. All right, I got, I got my two. All right, come in, stand in front of me. I want to I demonstrate this, this point I just made. All right, ready? All right, so you're here? Okay, come on. Now, 
I have a $100 bill. And does this need to be, does this need to be printed? Does it need to be made? It's already made, right? All right. Could you use this? Could you use $100? You could, right? It's already, it's already been provided. It's already here. It's already here. I, 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 I freeze, freeze, one, one moment, freeze. This is a picture of the church today. Jesus has already done it, and we're just sitting back looking, trying to figure out when we're going to have what he's already done. All right, now, here it is. Could you use a hundred dollars? So what are you going to do in order to possess this hundred dollars? No, no, no. What? Take it. All right. Did everybody see that? Did you see that? You saw that, right? I right, step forward, young man. Could you, could you use $100? Does this need to be made? Does this need to be printed? It is already available, right? It has been made available. It's already done. It's already done. All right, now, I want you to do something for him. Give that back to me. Here it is. Now, you know it's already done. And you know I want you to have this. So it should not take a long time. It's here. You need it. Do what? Take it. Take it. Your healing is there. Take it. Your deliverance is there. Take it. Your soundness is there. Take it. Jesus has already made it available. Take it. Now. Now watch this. There's really nothing left for them to do. When somebody gives you a gift, there's really nothing left to do but to say what? Thank you. To say what? Thank you. It's exactly what God wants us to do where he's concerned. Instead of you begging him, instead of you crying, you got to learn how to go and take it by faith. And the only thing left to do is say, thank you, God. Thank you for my healing. Thank you for my deliverance. Thank you for my soundness. It's already done. 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 I say it's already done. I'm going to shout some words and you shout, it's already done. Your healing, 
your deliverance, your soundness, your prosperity, your promotion, everything that pertains to life and godliness has already been done by the precious blood of Jesus. Take it, take it, take it, take it. You see, Jesus has made it. Your faith will take it. Your faith now is a positive response to what Jesus' grace has made available to you. If Jesus had made it, then faith can't take it. If grace hadn't already provided it, faith can't take it. See, we've been trying to use our faith to make what grace makes. Grace doesn't make. Grace, grace makes, excuse me, faith takes. Grace makes, faith takes. Say it out loud. I want to make sure I said that right. Grace makes, faith takes. Faith is your positive response to what grace has already done. It's already done. Now, here's what we're doing today. Under the law, he says, if you do, then God will do. And we've been spending all our time trying to do to try to get God to do. That is the pattern of the old covenant. If you do, then God will do. If you, if, you, if you be good, then God will be good to you. No, God's not good to you because you're good. God is good to you because God is good. God is good. Don't ever be so arrogant to think that you can, that you can finish what God started. The biggest sin in the body of Christ is trying to be like God without God. You need him. You're going to always need him. So under the law, the blessing was based on your performance. But under grace, it's based on Jesus and your faith in him. Amen. Now, you're so busy worrying about sinning that you, you can't hear what I said. You can't hear what I said. So let me go ahead and answer that real quick. When you get born again, the Holy Spirit is going to start working in you, changing your desires, and you're not going to want to do what you used to do no more. But as long as you keep trying to do it through your own self-effort, you're going to keep failing, and then guilt and shame comes in. You cannot live this life under grace without the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gives you desire. He changes and takes away your old want to. He starts giving you a new want to and you wake up one day and you don't have the same desire you had before. Not because of what you did, but because of what he did. And what he did in you starts translating on the outside of you. Now, salvation. Let's look at that. Matthew chapter 9. How many more? How much time I got? Time did I start? 630? How much, how much more time I got? 6.30, about 7.30. Okay. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 17. 
Salvation. Under the covenant of Moses versus salvation under Jesus once Jesus died. Verse 16 through 17. And behold, one came and said unto him, Master, good master, what good thing, watch this, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He wanted to know what to do to have eternal life. And Jesus tried to help him out, but he went ahead and answered him based on how he asked him. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. He says, why don't you call me God? Why you keep calling me good master? Why don't you call me God? He says, but if thou wilt enter into life, you really want to know how to do it, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. Now, that was the answer from a prophet who was living to fulfill the commandments of Moses, every bit of it, because we could not. So is it the same? Will he tell you the same thing today after his death? Before the cross, Salvation was based on you got to keep the commandments. But after the cross, look at this. Acts 16, verse 30 and 31. Acts 16, 30 and 31. If I had 20 sessions, I could break this all down, but I got, I got to get it going. <laughs> Acts 16, 30 and 31. Now, he's asking a similar question here. This is after Paul and Silas and the earthquake and the jailhouse doors opened and the jailer said, and he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, if you answer that question based on what we just answered in Matthew, it would be the wrong answer. So after the cross, what was the answer? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou and thy house shall be saved. You see, before the cross, you had to keep the commandments to be saved. After the cross, you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Why am I believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because I cannot be successful in keeping all of those laws. But Jesus did, and I'm now going to just believe in Jesus, and I'm going to have more faith in what he has done instead of having more faith in what I can do. So salvation is different. The answer is different under the, the law versus after the cross, or before the cross and after the cross. Let's look at one more thing. Now, this is going to be interesting because when you meet, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, somebody said, just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read those, those books, and bless God, you're going to be all right. Well, those are good books, but you've got to understand what you're reading in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you remember Matthew 5? Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. Not one jot or tittle will pass away until it all be fulfilled. Why did he say that? Because he said nobody else could fulfill it but him. And so in the Gospels, referring to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see Jesus operating as a prophet under the old covenant, fulfilling every bit. He's fulfilling the ceremonial law. He's fulfilling the, the uh, civic law. He's fulfilling the moral law. But something very interesting happens here. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm going to show you a Jesus who's operating by the old covenant because he uses the pattern of the old covenant. So you got to be careful not to, you know, well, I'm going to do everything the red says. Well, the red says to cut your hands off if your hands offended you. Why haven't you cut your hands off? 
Well, the red says if your eyes offended you, pluck it out. I'm sure they've offended you some, somehow since you've been alive. The red says, well, have you ever committed adultery? No, I've never committed adultery. Have you ever looked at some, some woman in a strange way? Yeah, he says you're an adulterer. Have you ever committed murder? No, I never committed murder. Have you ever hated your brother? Well, I had a problem a couple of years ago. Say you're a murderer. Jesus raised the bar to let you know that by yourself you can't do this. You need a savior. You need Jesus. That's why no man can come to the Father except through Jesus. You can't come to the Father with your long list of all of the wonderful, awesome things you did. He don't want to see your list of self-righteousness. He wants to see your faith in Jesus and how you believe him. Now watch this. Matthew. Uh, let's look at Mark chapter 11, 25, 25 through 26. Mark 11, 25 through 26. And then Matthew 6, 14 through 15. Now watch carefully. See, don't you pick up the pattern of the law here. And when you stand praying, forgive, if ye, underline that, if you have ought against any that your Father also in heaven may forgive you your trespasses, but if you do not, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. So right here is based on what you do, performance-based. That's a, that's a, that, is a, that is a signal that you're under the pattern of the old covenant. It's performance-based. It's conditional. You got to do something first in order for God to do something second. That's the pattern of the old covenant. All right, look at Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15. Same thing here. So Jesus is operating as a prophet under the old covenant. For if you forgive men their trespasses, if you, if you, conditional, if you forgive men of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. If you, if you, if you. Now, am I saying that walking in unforgiveness is something that a Christian should do? You know I'm not saying that. But, but this is this is a pattern of the old covenant. This is saying you have to do this in order for God to do that. that, that that's, that's not what, that's not, that was before the cross. That was, that was Jesus before the cross, but after the cross, he's going to say something different. And the reason why I'm addressing this is because I know people who have died and preachers told them that they probably went to hell because they didn't forgive such and so and such and so. That's a lie. Seriously, if, 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 if they went to hell because they didn't forgive, then everybody in here going to hell. If anybody in here goes to hell for sinning, everybody's going to hell for sinning. Because you don't go to hell for sinning. You go to hell for rejecting Jesus Christ, who is your only way out of sin. Ah, uh, uh, I know that was kind of rough for some of y'all. You go to hell for rejecting Jesus. You go to hell for rejecting Jesus. Because if you accept Jesus, he's going to work everything out. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. Whatever he started, he's going to finish. 
I don't doubt it. Whatever he started in me, he finishes. Whatever he starts in you, he finishes. It might be the last day till the rapture come, but he will finish the good work that he started on the inside of you. Is forgiveness important? Absolutely. And you walk around in unforgiveness, you're killing yourself. But will unforgiveness keep you out of heaven? No. No. Because if you're really born again, you're not going to stay in unforgiveness. If you're really born again, the Holy Spirit's working in you. You're not going to stay in unforgiveness. If you're really born again, the Holy Spirit is going to bring a forgiving heart out of you. He is the vine. You are the branch. It is no way you're going to live your life in unforgiveness if the vine is living on the inside of you. Then the branch will eventually get what the vine has. So that's not even an issue. I told you I was going to be radical tonight. Some of y'all got to go home tonight and say, hmm, should I come back tomorrow? All right, so what was it after the cross? Look at Ephesians 4.32 and then Colossians 3.13. Ephesians 4.32 and Colossians 3.13. All right, now watch this. So before the cross, it was you had to forgive in order to to be forgiven. If you didn't do it, then God wouldn't do it. That's the pattern of the old covenant. What about after the cross? Be kind one to another. Be tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. After the cross, he said, since I have already forgiven you, you can now forgive. After the cross, he says, if you ever have a problem forgiving, look at me. I have already forgiven you, therefore I have empowered you to do what you may be having a hard time doing. But I am going to give you supernatural love. And you can love some things that other people say are unforgivable. You can forgive because you have supernatural Holy Spirit working on the inside of you. Turn to your neighbor and say, I have the Holy Spirit working in me now. I have the Holy Spirit working in me now. Look at Colossians 3.13. Look at Colossians 3.13. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Notice, it's what he did first, which enables you to do it second. Before, under the, before the cross, it was what you did first, and then God would do second. But after the cross, it's what Jesus did first, to empower and enable you to be able to do second. So he says, because I have already forgiven you, you are now empowered to forgive. You understand that? Say amen. Let's go one more. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. What are the requirements for love? For love. See, when you, when you examine the grace of God, you, you, you have to do it by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the giver of grace. And if you factor the Holy Spirit out and then you think you're going to try to do this stuff on your own willpower, you've missed the entire gospel. Watch this. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. 31. 31. And the second is like, namely this. 
Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other greater than these. Watch me carefully now. I was praying one day and I said, Lord, I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. And I heard this. Do you? And I was like, wow, never thought about that. Love you with all my heart. I said, well, that's probably not the truth. I got Taffy in there and my kids in there and all my... Mm. Do I love you with all my soul? Ah, no, my soul's occupied with some other stuff too. Do I love you with all my might, with all my money? Uh, no, I got a savings account. Uh, and I said this to the Lord, I want to. For the first time, I realized it. I said, who can do this? The answer, Jesus. I said, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. I, I know it sounds good when I say that, but it's just not the truth. Help me. And he said, I already have. I said, when? Go to 1 John 4, 19. When? Like, I, I want to do this, Lord. How do I love you? How do I love you, Lord? I said, I want to do it, but I keep getting in the way. I prayed a prayer at one time. I said, Lord, deliver me from myself. And look what he says. We love him. How? Because he first loved us. I can love him because I receive empowerment from him. He gives me supernatural love. The first work of the Holy Spirit was to pour the love of God in my heart. I have the love of God in me to love what's not right, to love people that have done me wrong, to love the hurt and the pain. Oh, I can now love God because God's enabled me to be able to love. He says, I love you first, so now you go in love. Watch this. Watch this. This is going to be radical. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to, one more scripture, and I'm going to set you up for tomorrow. We spend too much time working on trying to love God instead of spending the time believing that he loves us. What does that mean? It's faith in his love for us. Question is, do you believe God loves you? Deuteronomy 1, 26, turn there. Do you believe that God loves you? Because faith won't work if you don't believe God loves you. If you're always going around struggling trying to love God, you got to believe that he loves you. You know, when I was diagnosed with cancer, a few years ago, the only thing that I could think about all the time is God loves me. That's why I know everything's going to be all right. God loves me. That's why I know I won't die. God loves me. I got that on the inside until I just begin to have faith in God's love for me. The question tonight is, do you believe the love that he has for you? Watch this. Look at what he said, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Here's what happens when you don't believe God's love. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the commandments of the Lord your God. What caused them to rebel? Next. Keep going. And you murmured in your tents. Why'd they do that? And you said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. When you don't believe the love, and when you think it's God's hating you, 
then you can't have faith in what he said. If you don't believe that he loves you, you won't believe what he has to say to you. But once you believe that he loves you, then you'll start believing what he said. And when he said you're already healed, you'll say, I believe it because God loves me. When he says you're already delivered, you say, I believe it because God loves me. When he says that it's going to be all right, the money's coming, I got it covered, you say, yes, I believe that because God loves me. And there's no situation I've ever seen in my life that did not work out because I knew God loves me. You got to understand what it feels like to walk in the doctor's office. He says, we just got a report back and you have an aggressive form of cancer and you better move right now in order to get out or you'll be dead. Hold up, doc. God loves me. That can't happen to me like what you just said because God loves me too much, praise God. And he's already delivered me. He healed me 2,000 years ago, doc. You don't understand. I know a doctor that's never lost a patient and he's in love with me, praise God. And I tell you the things I've gone through and I heard this one word and it built my faith up. He said, I got you. When I got that report, I heard, I got you. When I was over the Pacific Ocean and my, my engines went, one engine went out and I'm thinking, oh Lord, he said, I got you. When I was diagnosed with meningitis and they said they had no cure for it, he said, I got you. When I was $20 million in a deficit and needed it because the deficit was growing every minute, he said, I got you. When my young baby was held up gunpoint and, 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 and I'm like, oh my God, I got you. Those words have carried me through all of the hell that I have gone through. And my God, who I know loves me, has had me through every situation. And I'm telling you that he not only has me, but he got you. He got you. I don't know what you're going through, but he got you, praise God. I don't know what the doctor saw, but he got you. I don't know what the x-ray revealed, but he got you, praise God. I need you to go to three people right now and tell them, God's got you, God's got you, God's got you. Come on, somebody. Let's praise the Lord in this place. Praise the Lord like you mean it. Praise the Lord like you believe in. Praise the Lord like you believe the love that he has for you. Now, as you're standing, lift your hands up right now with me. I am going to believe God to prove these things to you. Paul said, I did it by revelation. I believe God tonight for what I call a grace explosion. Mm. Somebody say, what's a grace explosion? Things happening in your life. Thank you for listening to the Megacon Experience. Connect with us on social media at CGMI Global on Facebook and Instagram.